So, Lord God, we ask that you would open up to our minds and to our hearts the mystery of this scripture. You know, how can it be, Lord, that when we're weak, we are strong, but we accept it to be true uh, for your name's sake and to your glory. Amen. This is a mysterious passage. Like, I've always wondered, how can it be the case that when I'm weak, then I'm strong? It doesn't really go together. And yet, Paul somehow puts it together. He changes our thinking about boasting and about weakness, but he starts out with some boasting. So, I'm going to do the same, and perhaps through this sermon, you're going to hear a little bit more about the Easley family than you maybe even needed to know. In the past month, we've had two graduation celebrations, one from college and one from high school, and I will confess that those fancy hats they wear, those mortar boards, are kind of the basis of a little shrine to each of my students. There's the purple shrine for my daughter's college, and then there's the green and gold shrine for my son's high school graduation. And then, to be honest, there's a few cords and little awards and trophies and all that. It's all right there in the shrine. On Friday night, the Eastside Academy graduated, I think, 10 students right here on campus, and I'm guessing that they've got some little shrines. Their diplomas are somewhere prominent, because when you work hard, you want to celebrate. You want to boast a little bit. You want to kind of live into the moment. When we were at our daughter's graduation from college, you know, it's a big stadium. It was in Fort Worth, Texas. They do things really big there. And she was down on the floor in all the purple robes, and we're up in these really high stands, and we had asked her on the way, hey, did you graduate with honors? Did you make it? Because that had been her goal. And she said, I, I didn't make it. And I was like, okay, oh, well, you know, you're graduating. That's great. Well, we opened the program, and there was her name listed with honors. So we knew she had made it, but she's down on the floor, and when they said, everybody who'd earned the honors, please stand up, and we could see she didn't stand up because she didn't know. And then she sat back down, and the guy next to her was alphabetical. They're going through the names, waiting for their turn, and he ribs her, and he goes, hey, Maddie, you did get honors. And I could almost see across the whole arena her, the smile on her face. There is a great joy in celebrating what we've accomplished. And we want to boast about it. Parents want to boast about their kids. But what about when there's not something to boast about? Paul is pointing us to that fact. We celebrate graduations. What about those kids who didn't graduate, who couldn't find their way through? Is it not true that God is for them as well? When I was driving into church this morning, I saw that one of the churches down Bellevue Way had out on their reader board a quote from a book that's often given as a graduation present. I think the EA kids even got it. It's a Dr. Seuss book called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And that's what it said on the reader board. Congratulations, BHS graduates. Sue says this, Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. Isn't that what we want? One of the high school seniors that I know wrote a few rap songs defending, and in his senior project, defended this genre of music. It tells a story to a beat. And to my surprise, one of these stories tied right into our sermon series. It goes like this. 
I'm not really a rapper, but something like this. 2 a.m. just thinking, matter of fact, I'm reminiscing about the life that I've been missing. I've been caught up in a vision. I am feeling so alone, always caught up in my phone. Looking back on situations, I just wish I would have known. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. I'm just searching for a purpose. I guess I could give up now or I could find a way to work it. So we have a three-week sermon series on purpose. Jesse Rice helped us to realize that purpose is a person in Jesus. Daniel Triller last week helped us to see that purpose is revealed in relationship with God, not thinking we're better than someone else, but rather that we need a Savior. In today's scripture, we hear what Paul has to say about purpose. Paul redefines what we think of boasting and of weakness and encourages the early church and all of us to boast in ways that show our true purpose, to glorify God. Our true purpose, the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This catechism was a way of teaching, like asking questions and answers so that young Christians could learn what it meant to follow God. It was written in 1646 in an attempt to bring the Church of England into a greater conformity with the Church of Scotland that thought it had the best theology. So our true purpose, to glorify God forever. And the ways that we do that amazingly are through boasting, boasting about ourselves, boasting about God. So let's start with ourselves. We like to boast in our accomplishments, right? And this is the kind of boasting that Paul's talking about in verse 18. Since many boast according to human standards, I will also boast. In this boasting, we can kind of get carried away and compare ourselves to others and maybe put others down, proving that we're better, that we're feeding kind of our own hopes, our own ego. God, uh, Paul goes on to compare himself in his boastings, although it's not what you would expect. He turns it around. He starts to boast about all the suffering that he's had, all the bad things, the hidden things, the colossal setbacks in his life. Paul's been in prison. He's been flogged. He's been exposed to death. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's gone hungry. He's been in danger, not just once, but many times. His list of suffering goes on and on. You kind of get impressed that he still exists, right? And his position places a lot of responsibility, his role of leadership, he feels, on his shoulders. He's anxious about all the churches. He even has an unanswered prayer. He has a physical struggle, a thorn in the flesh. And Paul's response is this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I think it's much more fun to boast of the things that show our strength, isn't it? But what if we got vulnerable about who we really are and what's really going on? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Doesn't say what it was. I'm so curious. One of my questions in heaven. How about us? What are our thorns in the flesh, in our spirit, in our relationship, in our hopes, in our dreams, on our resume? When Dr. Seuss gets to this part in his book, he says this, you will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? 
What are the places for us where it feels like the windows are too dark and we don't dare go in and we don't dare stay out? Many of you know that I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer five years ago now, and that was a dark place. I remember a doctor sitting me down. She said, Kendi, you're being too optimistic. This is stage four, get real. Talk about fear. Where are your places that are too dark? Maybe it is a disease that seems to not have a cure. Maybe it's a marriage in need of rescue. Maybe it's a crushing disappointment at your work. Or maybe it's somewhere where you read the news about what's going on in this wide world, that there are places that seem to be without hope, where there's too much hunger or war, where there's a natural disaster that you think is unbearable or unspeakable racism and violence in Charleston this very week at a prayer meeting. How can it be? But Paul writes, whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, I am content, content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I'm weak, then I am strong. What happens when we're weak that makes us strong? I think there might be several things. When we're weak, we see God. We're looking for God, and maybe we see God a little bit more than when we're proud of our own strength. When we're weak, we have a sense of kind of open-handedness, like I wonder how this is going to turn out. I wonder what God could possibly do to redeem this situation. When we're weak, we realize that we're up against tremendous odds and we give God credit. Instead of taking it on ourselves, we say, God did it. God did abundantly more than we could have asked or imagined. Jeremiah 9 says this, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice, righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. We hear God contrasting boasting, boasting in wisdom, might, riches, no, but boasting in understanding and knowing God's character, boasting in love and justice and righteousness. And if we boast in that, we give God glory. We give God gratitude, like, oh, God did it. Maybe it's a stretch to imagine being grateful in all circumstances. I know when I was on the home stretch of my cancer treatment, I'd been through chemo, then surgery, then more chemo, and then it came time for radiation. So I was then bald, and folks from church showered me with earrings, which was wonderful because, you know, there was like this shiny empty space and then there was a little something sparkly to wear. It kind of cheered me up. When I was going to my last chemotherapy, a friend showed up. In my mind, it was champagne, but I think it might have just been sparkling cider there in the hospital. 
and sat with me. I think she lit candles, or maybe we couldn't have candles, but in my mind, that's what it was. It was this moment of celebration that we'd made it, we, you know, people had supported me through. I felt like my team had come through. And then I graduated to radiation. I was so glad to make it to radiation. But as I began the radiation, it was a 30-day course of treatment. And many times people came to drive me because I was just so tired. And I looked forward to little things like there was a puzzle there that it was only 50 pieces, so if you waited long enough, you might even get it done. But as I would walk into that room, there was this giant machine which was to save my life. I just had to lay on it every day for 30 days and kind of get arranged in just the right place. Yet I felt too weary, too alone, kind of too angry to face that machine every day. And I began at that point to sort of say to God, this is a little too much for me. I want to survive, but this is a little much. And I remember walking in that room, and there on the side of the wall, there was a plaque that the machine had been donated, this very machine that was going to save my life, by someone I knew. Could you believe that? And I felt like God was saying, I'm here. Like, look, there's even someone you know who donated this machine that I'm going to work through. Not like I was promised my life would be saved, but at least it was comforting to know that. And I would lay down on this machine and you know, they arranged me in a very odd way, and my head was stuck in a certain position. Fortunately, across on the wall, they knew many people would be faced this way, they had placed a picture of a fall tree in all its orange and red glory. And as I laid there and looked at that tree, I did find it in my heart to be thankful that they had placed the picture, thankful that God had made trees, thankful that there sometimes are the perfect falls with the perfect temperature when trees actually look like that. And I was kind of turning this into like, okay, God, I see that you're here, okay. And then it came to my mind a poem that Eugene Peterson, who uh, translated the message, wrote. And he said this about this kind of tree that it is a deciduous reminder to let it go. That there's kind of this moment of glory and then you know what's gonna happen to that tree? It's gonna lose every one of those leaves, most falls anyway. It's going to let them go. How is God present in these circumstances? That when we are weak, maybe that's when we let go we see God at work. Could it be that God is actually present in all circumstances? How is God present in circumstances like this Charleston shooting? Could it be in the community that comes around? I have this picture calling us to be united together. Could it be that there is a call in this suffering to move toward the suffering? to be a people who stand with those who suffer, who stand with righteousness and against all that is not righteous. Could we boast about our understanding of God, about the mysteries of God? Instead of asking why, why me, we ask maybe what if. Pastor John Ortberg turns that what if this way, he says, what if all those hard prayers 
were answered. What if Paul had been healed of his thorn in the flesh? He would have become even more impressive and traveled even more widely and learned to boast in his own great strength and great giftedness, and perhaps the movement of the early church would have been a monument to the human greatness of the Apostle Paul. What if Israel had become the people of a military greatness or people of affluence instead of the people of the book? Jesus asked in Gethsemane not to be crucified. What if God had said yes? What if Jesus had been spared the cup? What if there had been no cross, no death, no tomb, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no birth of the church? I don't know why some prayers get yeses and some prayers get noes. I know the anguish of a no when you want a yes more than you want anything in the world. But I don't know why. I only know that in the cross, God's no to his only son was turned into a yes for every human being who ever lived. The story we tell of our life, the story we tell of who we know God to be is one of awe. We boast of our weakness, for then we are strong. There was a season of my husband's and my life in which we longed for children, we had none, we tried everything, and I would see those stickers on the back of a car, you know, those stick figures like mother, dad, two kids, cat, dog, or sometimes mother, dad, five kids, two cats, and a dog, or sometimes it's in a Hawaiian style, like turtles, you know? And then I would look at those and think, hey, not only do they have four kids and two great pets, and they're driving a really cool minivan that's full of people, but they go to Hawaii. Like, I would have to change lanes and get, you know, sometimes teary-eyed just driving on the freeway. Today's Father's Day, and I saw this poster that I think describes parenting, something I wanted for my husband. Father is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. The end product of raising a child, of child raising, is not the child, but the parent. So when God gave us the gift of adopting two children as infants, you can imagine, some of you may even remember, that I was overjoyed to accept this parenting assignment. And I offered you earlier the words that my high school senior, Mason, wrote. Those were his words. Here's a bit about Mason's rap. It's certainly a mixture of pride. I was so stunned when he said he was gonna do a senior project of rap music. But I want to share you, with you this next section, his lines about adoption. I know who I want to be, but that's not who I am. I'm working every day to become a better man. Adopted at birth got me questioning a lot. Maybe I should be here, maybe I should not. You see, when we realize our purpose is to glorify God in everything we do, we realize that boasting about God's character reminds us that God is the actor in this story. We don't understand it all. God somehow is present in the midst of all circumstances. He's present with more of his love, more of his justice, more of his righteousness. 
When we focus on God's provision, we see God's power in redemption, resurrection, and the community of saints. I'd love to take credit for Mason's music. He's my son. I could boast. But the truth is, there are a host of resources provided by God that made him who he is. First, his birth mother decided to carry him and to deliver him. His birth family and his birth grandparents released him to us. In this very little senior project, there's years of schooling that went into the independent thinking to say, hey, I'm going to try writing rap music. There was a sponsoring teacher, a producer, a musician from this church, a recording studio that someone donated, a piano teacher who faithfully encouraged him week after week for 13 years, I think many weeks when he didn't even progress a note worth, but he showed up. There were the youth leaders who listened and listened and listened to him. There's coaches who endured his knee injuries and recovery and the physical therapist. In fact, there is a whole other family. We found out this past year, his birth family loving him at a distance. They celebrated his birthday each year uh, purchasing a gift and putting it into a treasure chest that overflowed into two gigantic homemade wooden treasure chests celebrating his life. And who gets the credit for this? God. God did what we could never do for ourselves. Oh, how he loves us. Whatever suffering we're in, count it all glory, because God wants to meet you there, to glorify God in all circumstances. That's our purpose. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we come to the end of our rope. We want to be independent people. We have dreams that do not come to pass. We feel alone. We wake up at 2 a.m. worried about things we can do nothing about. And we ask that you would somehow show us how we might boast in who you are, how we might rely on who you are, that even when we are at the top of our game, you are there when we are at a door that won't open, when we're knocking and knocking and knocking, Lord God, I ask that you would show us how to turn around and let you in. We thank you that you stand at the door of our lives and knock, and that you want to come in and show your glory. So come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, work your purposes through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.